This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. For this special episode of the Impact Report, I'm joined by Lauren Hill, Catherine Tedro, and Danielle Arzaga of Population and the Unspun Podcast Series. Hi, my name is Danielle Arzaga, and I'm a co-host of Unspun. Hi, my name is Catherine Tedro. I am the co-founder of Population and a co-host of Unspun. Hi, my name is Lauren Hill. I'm a co-founder of Population and co-host of Unspun. Great. Thank you all for joining me today. I'm incredibly excited to have two friends, Lauren and Catherine, and to meet you, Danielle. It's been quite a journey since Lauren and Catherine and I were all in the MBA program at Bard. And I'd love to be able to start by hearing more about your recently launched podcast series called Unspun, which explores the interconnectedness of fashion, social equity, and environmental justice. So can you tell us a little bit about Unspun and what made you launch the series? So I'm trying to remember exactly the genesis of Unspun. Um, Danielle, Catherine, and I were talking about a retreat concept that we wanted to do in Italy. Um, I think we were talking about it at the end of 2019 um, that was going to be an immersive learning experience for brand professionals to learn more about supply chains and really talk about solutions in a co-creative space. And then the pandemic hit and we realized that it wasn't realistic to plan any sort of retreat. And so we started thinking about what are other ways that we can pilot this concept of having really honest conversations about the industry and co-creating the solutions for the future that maybe aren't being talked about at the panel level, but we know people are talking about at dinner after conferences or inside conversations. Um, so that's how we started talking about the concept of doing a podcast, which was you know, a realistic endeavor during the pandemic, especially with the three of us living in different cities. And so then it evolved from there and really thinking about what topics we wanted to focus on um, and what sorts of guests we wanted to bring on. And really, we were all just tired of asking the same question over and over and over again to industry professionals at every conference, every panel. And it usually sounded something like, what about the power dynamics in your supply chain? Are you even thinking about that? Um, and so there were these questions that were never getting answered or even, even coming close to talking around we, when we started working with brand professionals we started asking those questions more directly to them and people were kind of scratching their head like, I, that's not really an issue in our supply chain. It's not something we're talking about. And the, the issue of power dynamics um, goes all the way from your supply chain to how you're marketing. So from supply to demand. And the irony about that as well is that, you know, when we started asking that question, I don't know, five or six years ago, people were scratching their heads. And now it is such a hot topic of conversation. So many conversations I have with people in the industry beyond kind of our smaller circle of people we knew who were having that conversation, it's expanded so much and it happens so rapidly. It's like uh, Celine Simon and her study hall conferences. I feel like that was the first big industry space 
that had started having conversations around that. But outside of that, there wasn't a lot of conversation on like a kind of global scale. And now everyone is talking about it in some way, which is really interesting. We also felt like it was a great opportunity to move forward with the podcast now because people really want to understand how do we address these dynamics moving forward, not just talking about the problem, but really creating solutions. Danielle, can you talk a little bit about your you know, background and what you bring to uh, the series? I was born and raised in California, but I'm currently living in Italy and am a sustainability manager at a legacy denim mill, Candiani Denim. I would say my experience really working and living here has allowed me to kind of get a, a different perspective on sustainability as it applies to just, I would say, day-to-day -day life and, and even all the way up to the kind of government level and how, how people are engaging with, with these topics. Um, I, my background, I studied at Lund University and got a master's in environmental management and policy in 2017. And that's actually when I met Catherine, when I was writing my thesis for, um, I, I was writing about the Eileen Fisher Take Back program and Catherine had, had worked as a consultant for them. And so we met, we met that way um, and have been in touch ever since and found various ways to collaborate over the last few years. What is it like for you to go from being, for all three of you, to go from being behind the scenes, mostly as consultants, to doing something that is so public facing as a podcast, putting yourselves, you know, as faces of this work and this movement. It's been really beautiful over the last, I guess, six years or so now and four or so with Danielle is because we started a peer group originally that was, you know, no business intention, um, just a space that women, young women coming out of their graduate degree that were trying to get into the industry in a sustainability space um, could bring their whole self. Like that was our only intention. We want to talk about the struggle to get into your career setbacks, your intentions, what you're doing at your job. We got to learn from each other and we formed this really amazing group of women um, that, you know, we met for a couple years together and then Lauren and I kind of took a step back to be able to refocus what we were doing. Um, but it, the, what we've recreated the three of us together on the podcast is that space of like, you can bring your full self. No one um, has to be the pro in sustainability. We have the intention of creating these very honest conversations with people in the industry and um, highlighting voices that aren't always heard as experts in the room. And as long as that intention is there, um, it's a really beautiful space to be creating. And I have a lot of respect for both of them and love. So you touched upon uh, the voices and the people that you're, you will feature as guests. Can you, the three of you, tell me a little bit more about some of the guests that you, for episodes you already recorded and also, you know, what's anticipated in the lineup for the season? Like Catherine had said, one of the main objectives of this project 
of this podcast is to bring forward voices of people that are not maybe generally given that opportunity um, or that aren't in the spotlight, aren't speaking at panels or, or whatever it may be. Um, and really to, to bring voices onto the podcast from across the value chain. So from supply all the way to demand. So we're launching the podcast with a two-part conversation with the amazing women from Sustainable Brooklyn. And their objective is really to bridge the gaps between the mainstream sustainability movement conversation um, and targeted communities, because those are the ones that are generally left out of the conversation and will be the most impacted from the impacts of, of climate change and, and all of the environmental issues that are, that are happening right now. So we have this tension on the show, especially as we're launching, that you know we have our goal to elevate these conversations. And in order to do that, one of the ways that we, we can do so is by inviting guests on the show who are more well-known, um, which can sometimes be a little counter to the goal of the conversation, which is also to integrate people into conversations who aren't often being listened to. And so that's like a tension I'm feeling at the beginning of the launch and where I feel like we are building on our opportunity and the mission of our podcast is in thinking about, okay, for people who are, you know, well-known names in the industry, what are conversations we can have with them that they're not having, or that people aren't hearing them have in other places? Like, can we bring a unique perspective to this conversation with this person so we can at least start setting a foundation for this being a space that's set up a little bit differently than other spaces. And one of the things that I would really love to see us do, and we've, the three of us have had conversations about is like, how do we bring like a student onto the podcast to talk about their perspective? You know, we, as grad students went to conferences where you're sitting in the audience and there's an expert panel having a conversation and you hear someone ask a really amazing question that kind of gets dismissed. Um, because their particular stakeholder group or perspective isn't considered from this like high level, very privileged sustainability perspective that has been very predominantly white. And so it's like, how do we get, we want those students to come on the podcast and ask the questions that they have of the industry and have conversations with us about their vision for the future and how we get there. And also talk to people who are established and thinking about their roles in different ways. But we really want to come at it from this like changing, this perspective of changing your lens. We need to think about our work differently. We need to stop thinking about the people who have been working in the industry for 20 years as the only experts in sustainability because they aren't. They have a unique perspective, but it does not replace the perspective of many, many other people who are often completely disregarded. And so that's something that I think we have an opportunity to build into more in the podcast is making more of a push of like, let's bring on someone who literally no one knows. Like, could we put a call out for like students or I mean, really anyone, like someone working in retail, like just put a call out. Do you want to have conversations about the dysfunctions in the apparel and home textiles industry and the solutions that we need to solve those issues and kind of up-level the conversation into being this really inclusive and broad space as opposed to, you know, kind of falling into the trap of continually bringing on people who are known because we do need it to elevate our platform. Um, but kind of balancing those two things. So what exactly is population and what sets you apart from other consultancies? Population is, I mean, I feel like sustainability consultancy is more limited than what we want population to be. 
Um, you know, we're, we're struggling with how do we use words that are recognizable to people so that they understand the value that we have to offer without putting ourselves in the box of something that we're not. Um, so I would say from a higher level population is a group of people who have a vision to change the way that sustainability is approached in the fashion and home industries. And that that approach really needs to be rooted in a historical understanding of the impacts of colonialism and white supremacy and how those play out today in value chains and really looking at creative solutions to those issues um, because we see them really being the root of so much of unsustainability in our world. And so without addressing them, our approaches or our solutions are inherently limited. We can reduce harm and we can make progress, but can we radically change our world without addressing those things? We don't believe so. So I would say at a high level, that's kind of what we're about. It's more, you know, from a philosophical movement perspective, but then we obviously also are business. Um, and so from a consulting perspective, the opportunity that is unique to us or that we feel like we uniquely fill is in bridging gaps between sustainability teams and marketing teams um, and between both of our experience together, which is I think one of the things that's really beautiful about our partnership is the unique skills that, that Kat and I bring, um, is that we really have a deep understanding of what sustainability is for our industry, for fashion and home. And we simultaneously are very sensitive to the real marketing needs that businesses have. And often the really large gap in knowledge there is between marketing teams and sustainability teams and, and what that tension can create, which often can be performative marketing in the form of greenwashing or wokewashing. What is really at stake here? You know, like there's a ton of money, a ton of environmental impact, so much impact on human lives, uh, especially the people that are producing um, these materials. So there's a lot at stake. Could you touch upon, you know, the urgency of this work um, and why that's appealing to you, the challenge and, you know, what you're setting forth to do with population? You know, in uh, making the business case in the fashion industry, um, Lauren and I, I think are so far past that. We don't even try to explain explain it to people anymore because if you don't get it you're maybe just never gonna get it but if um you know we're we're at a, a complete tipping point environmentally um it's obvious uh there's been food land ocean misuse that is threatening our global population our biggest concern is the fact uh what was stated earlier that um Black, brown, indigenous communities are going to be most at risk as those threats become um, even more serious. Um, there's really no reversing climate change at this point. So it's figuring out what we're gonna do in our supply chains to change that. Um, I think it's like half our global GDP is threatened by nature loss right now. Um, by 2030, the fashion industry's water consumption is going to double. Carbon emissions are going to go up 2.8 billion tons. Um, and another 60 million tons of waste are going to be produced annually. And no one's working fast enough. I mean, there's still global brands that are 
just at the very beginning of touching sustainability as a part of their strategy as a company. Um, obviously, many of them are more focused on who their customer is and how to ignite brand love. Um, and that gap is closing now that brands are starting to see the only way to create more brand love is going to be to save the planet too. Um, I think the climate protests last, I guess, two years ago now, almost, um, were such a great indicator of that. The, the younger um, generation is just gonna look at us like, what have you done to our world? So brands are starting to step up finally. Um, but it's, uh, and I think that that movement in particular too, it was really, really important to see young and BIPOC women and young men um, stepping up to really stake a claim for the environment and the interconnectedness of um, how people and planet have to fun function together. Um, I think too, you know, Kat said at the beginning of her answer that we don't really, we're like past quantifying. Um, and one of the reasons for that as well is that, you know, the business case is what allowed people to justify slavery. So personally, I don't really care about the business case despite having an MBA. Um, it to me has been a tool for oppression of other people. Um, and so I feel like if we keep on relying on a business case, we will continue to rationalize our poor behavior. And we're not interested in that. Um, I'm much more interested in a moral case for why we need to be stewards of this planet and the communities that we're in um, and just treat other humans with dignity. Like it's such a basic thing. I some, it's like almost laughable to me sometimes, even though I know you know, being a student of business, the importance of the business case. But sometimes it's like, really, we still have to talk about this, like why you need a business case to be a decent person. And if I have to talk to you about that, I'm not sure that I even want to create solutions for your company because I know that the solutions are going to be so tied to a business case and a business imperative that stressors on your business, like those are going to be the first things to go the things that have more of a moral case than a business case. And so I think it's more of a bigger question around why as businesses do we rely so heavily on the business case, despite the reality that we're in relationship with our employees, we're in relationships with our supply chain partners, with our customers, with the communities in which we operate. We totally disregard the fact that we're, we you know, are an entity that has relationships despite Citizens United, which says that corporations are citizens. And so we live in this like paradox of wanting to have things both ways so that we can capitalize on things as much as possible and make rich people richer. And so that whole system, we just need to disrupt it. And the more we can align with other people who believe in a vision for business that is not predicated on the business case for doing good, the more we can move toward a world that actually is going to do better. Can you talk about some of your past clients and the work, the work that you've performed for them? We've, we've worked with brands all across the board. We've had the opportunity 
to work with some leading brands in sustainability. And this was in the earlier part of our sustainability careers, but Eileen Fisher in West Elm and uh, the Sustainable Apparel Coalition. And um, we got to just be in the first, what felt like the first wave of a really new space in the industry for sustainability. Circularity was like very new for the industry. And we got to be there at the dawn of it. I worked with Evernew, who was um, an innovation company um, that was breaking down cotton t-shirts into, you know, a pulp and re-extruding it into a new fiber and making new denim with Levi's. I mean, just an extraordinary time in the industry to come into this work. And it's been amazing disheartening also to always have been, been focused on people in the system and see the industry's um, hyper focus on materials innovation at the same time. Um, but now, you know, it's really, it's a, it's a good time to be in conversation with all of the people we've made connections with to now have the podcast um because we're we're getting to have all the conversations we've wanted to have all along and the industry's ready to have them now well it's definitely and unfortunately that we have to be at this point but it's an exciting time to be leading um the movement and pushing the movement forward and be part of that for established and newer brands now i was really struck by something on your website, which you talk about performative marketing, and I've never heard this term before. So can you tell me a little bit about the term and what it includes and how you and population are working with your clients to not just do performative marketing? This term actually came out of some really uh, like personal work that we did as a team, but as friends, as close girlfriends, we um, did a workbook called Me and White Supremacy. And it was at a time where anti-racism conversations were kind of building, not necessarily in the industry, but outside of the industry. And uh, performative allyship is a term in anti-racism. And it, the evolution of the idea that performative marketing, Lauren coined it, um, is, is a thing in the fashion industry just made sense. I mean, it's greenwashing and woke washing and savior storytelling and tokenism. And, um, anytime there's, or, you know, white savior storytelling, anytime there's a, a white founder of an artisan operated business, there's elements of performative marketing usually um, and there's not a lot of, I don't want to say that, there's not a lot of acknowledgement of it in the industry. And that's really where we're, I think, pushing for brands to kind of change their lens. We use that term a lot. And I think, you know, there, there really was not a conversation around it in the mainstream sustainability movement of our industry until last year. And that's when 
there was just this incredible elevation of the practice and calling out of the practice, which was really awesome to see. And at the same time, it was so interesting. I mean, it was like last summer was a horrific case study of performative marketing in the fashion industry. Um, You know, and it's complicated because just with our, the way we want to show up as individuals, and then we are individuals running companies, we make mistakes and we want to signal our virtue and that we're good people and, and all these things. Um, And then we get into trouble when we are not comfortable in the discomfort of where we are and the lack of progress that we've made, which is also real. And so it's like that tension that we really want to work on with brands um, in looking at, as Catherine said earlier, how do we authentic, uh, excuse me, how do we authentically share narratives and journeys of where companies are as opposed to storytell what they want people to know about them, you know, kind of curate an image or curate a story. And so a lot of the work that we do or the way we frame our work is, you know, the counter to performative marketing is authentic narrative building, but it's also deep and transformative commitment to sustainability because you can't, you know, you can't really have one without the other. Um, although I guess you could authentically tell your narrative that you're not doing anything, but no one wants to hear that. <laughs> so if you're really interested in progress and you want to communicate that journey, you need to actually really be com- committed to progress. And what is progress? I mean, what to the both of you is progress or would progress look like? The, the integration of a strategy is so important. I mean, it, it's so interesting to me now that, you know, now that diversity, equity, and inclusion is on the radar for brands, they're pushing forward their, their strategies and their initiatives, but they still haven't embedded it into their sustainability framework. Um, and that's, it's still really confusing for me. How are we not looking at all of the people in your value chain as where the sustainability framework needs to, you know, lie all across the value chain. Maybe Lauren has. No, I think that was well said. Um, what is progress is such a big question. Um, I think on a practical level, like what does progress look like to us as we engage with brands that yes, achieving an integrated approach to sustainability is the first step in that and everything that goes along with it. Um, And there's so much else that goes into like, what is the world we want to see, you know, that we all are contributing to creating that vision um, around, you know, like what does equity really look like? What does transparency really look like? I mean, in that one, for example, to be like very specific as as to what progress could look like, progress in transparency for brands is to not only be transparent about your supply chains, which is the activity of other people, but be transparent about your behaviors and how your behaviors impact not only your supply chain, but your internal employees, your customers, and the communities you operate 
within. But that's progress that we do a little bit of this um, shifting of responsibility and the spotlight on who needs to be monitored, who needs to be transparent, who needs to be honest about their behaviors. And we all need to be, particularly those in the system who have more power and leverage, um, which is apparel brands. And then we also need to be more honest about who is driving success in the industry and who really are the leaders in sustainability and stop claiming spaces that don't belong to us. Because there's work that so many people are doing, particularly black and brown people in sustainability that gets claimed by white leaders and companies. And it's not their progress to claim. Like we can claim a commitment to partnership and to you know, a commitment to driving progress forward, but there's the celebritization of sustainability professionals in the fashion and home industry is ridiculous and is so unhelpful when it comes to actually driving solutions. So progress to me would also be getting rid of that. Like we need to stop celebritizing people. It's not helpful. We've created this like popularity contest. And the reality of that is that our world rewards white Eurocentric people. And so, you know, if we continue to celebritize our work that will continue to be replicated. Also, there's this fear, not just in, you know, your industry, but in general, this big push for a warranted and necessary push for, you know, anti-racism and diversity, equity, inclusion and access. And how my fear personally is that people are going to do whatever they're going to do, maybe for the next year or two, and then think they're done, that it's not really part of just how you should be functioning in the world. <laughs> so I wonder how you deal with clients and how prepared are they to accept that, that it is part of this full sustainability journey of an organization. I think that's where we feel not just an opportunity to be in this space, but a responsibility. Um, just like the first wave of sustainability professionals were so convicted about the environmental damage of the earth that it was, there's no other way to be in business or be in your career. Um, there's such a responsibility for people in the industry that have connections and um, ways of talking to brands and are working with industry professionals to be beating the drum of it's time to stop centering yourself and your experience in your in your work in how you show up at at your job at a brand um yeah no I, I agree that it we feel a responsibility to that and I think part of that as well as just our social location as individuals and in our partnership that we have different experiences in the world and feel different levels of responsibility to support kind of the evolution of people who need to be on a journey to understand the importance of anti-racism specifically. Um, and so I, I think also for, for Catherine and I in population um, and with Danielle as well, you know, we all have different identities. We 
you know, unique individuals, but we also have unique racial identities. And as a team, being able to have conversations about race and understand, at least be able to have conversations to see each other's perspectives has been really helpful in thinking about how we approach our work and how we approach brands and how we support people to understand that they're on a journey. And that's kind of where a lot of our work around performative marketing comes from is like this pull by white people to virtue signal and be good, which is not wrong. Like we don't, none of us want to be bad people. <laughs> and we understand that. And I think that like Kat and I having those different vantage points of just like our experience in the world of being able to hold compassion for people who fear for being viewed as being bad or wrong and also the need to hold ourselves and our systems accountable. And how do we move forward in that tension of like, people are where they are. Our opinions about what, where the world needs to be isn't gonna change that. But we also need to have like a clear vision for where we need to go and where people need to be and be able to like walk with them step-by-step step in a journey to get there. And so that's where, to your point, Katie, it's not, you know, a two-year strategy and then you're done. It's not checking boxes. And that's where our, we believe our approach is really important. And, you know, women like Dominique Drakeford and Whitney McGuire of Sustainable Brooklyn, they are doing this work. There are other amazing people doing this kind of lens changing work. And that's actually kind of ideation that we got to do with them a few years ago, um, which was really wonderful. It's really looking at like, it's not, they're not boxes that you check or steps that you take and then you're done. It's a way of living that you need to commit to and recommit to and recommit to over and over and over again and constantly re reassess because we all also have our own unique privileges. And therefore there are things that we don't see or understand because of that privilege. There are challenges that we don't have to experience because of, of those privileges. And so we have to constantly be challenging ourselves and butting up against the discomfort. And the reality is that if you do not feel uncomfortable, you're not doing it right. If you feel comfortable, you're not engaging it with it deeply. And there probably shouldn't, well, should it's not the best word as my mom always tells me, um, but there, there's never gonna be a point in life where you feel comfortable. Like you've made it and you're done and you don't have anything problematic that you need to consider in your behavior. It's just not gonna happen because of the society we live in. So I think the more we can get comfortable with that, the more we can commit to authentic journeys where we can acknowledge where we're at and the progress that we need to make without this like rush to achieve things, which then often recreates problems because we wanna be done and get done with something and prove that we've done it. Um, yeah, so it's complicated. And I think that's where talking about our work and understanding the value that we bring to brands becomes sometimes more intangible that it's not like you don't do a program and achieve a goal and then you're done it and it creates all of this value to their to your business because the world is more complicated than that. Everything is interconnected. Things are on a long-term horizon for change. And so we also need to kind of stop thinking about success and these really limited bursts because that's not how the world operates, but we kind of force it to work that way in business. Now, you mentioned it several times in different ways, but you know, clearly and simply, how do the both of you define sustainability? I think I'm, I define it by the name that we are working with. If the population 
cannot survive on this earth, then we are not sustainable. And right now people's lives are being threatened. And I mean that in so many senses of the word, like black safety and the safety of black indigenous, black, brown and indigenous communities of color all over the world are threatened by climate change, discrimination, um, even, I mean, just if our, if all populations can't be safe in every sense of the word, we're not sustainable. I love that definition. I think it really gets at the root of what sustainability is. One of the things that we've talked a little bit about is that like these traditional definitions of sustainability, um, they're external and they, it's like this harm reduction approach. <laughs> like let's just reduce harm as much as possible. And we really wanna turn that on its head. That's like, no, we're not here to reduce harm. We're here to not do any harm. And we acknowledge that that's a really audacious goal to have because we're humans and we live in the world that we live in, but that should be our goal. And so if our goal is to not have harm, what is the definition of sustainability? Um, and Kat's right that, you know, safety at every level of the wor world, every level of the word for all people across this planet is key to sustainability. And not only just safety, but all people have the right to thrive. It's not like we're not surviving. We're not all just trying to survive on this planet and get by. Like people need to be thriving. All people need to be thriving. And so sustainability to me is liberation of people from the systems that we have in place that systematically restrict human beings from economic health, from physical health and from environmental health. Oh, definitely. Now we're at the end. Thank you for hanging in there with me. Uh, if you could just tell everyone listening where they can learn more about population. Uh, to join the conversation, you can follow us at We Are Population on Instagram, and you can go to our website at wearepopulation.com um, and follow all of the episodes that we'll be launching in the upcoming weeks. Every other week um, on Unspun, we'll be posting an article for each one. Well, thank you so much. Please keep in touch. I can't wait and um, to follow Unspun and also just to hear about how population grows and helps to change the world. Thank you, Katie. Thanks for Thanks, having us on. Katie. We appreciate our loyal Impact Report listeners and hope you can help us spread the word about the series and the important sustainability work of our guests. Please rate and review the Impact Report wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you were inspired by this conversation, share a screenshot to your Instagram account and tag Impact Report Podcast. You can hear Unspun wherever you listen to podcasts. And to learn more about the topics discussed in today's episode, visit wearepopulation.com
interested in learning how you can launch a high-impact, purpose-driven career in sustainability? Check out the resources page from the Bard Graduate Programs in Sustainability for access to free resources to jumpstart your career in sustainability. Hear from leaders in the fields of climate change, consulting, impact finance, fashion, circular economy, and more about how they launched their careers and the tips they have for you to join their industry. Visit gps.bard.edu slash resources today.